This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Joanna Phillips to the show. Joanna is a registered social worker and master's level therapist who happens to be one of the associates on our Happy as a Mother wellness team. Joanna's been working in the field of mental health and trauma for the past 13 years, and after the birth of her two children, developed a passion for working with families through their pregnancy and postpartum journey. Today, Joanna is joining us to talk about feeding baby and mental health. There is such a strong push in campaign for Breast is Best, and so many moms that I speak with on Instagram and in session talk about the enormous pressure that they felt to make breastfeeding and nursing work. But when should we stop breastfeeding? What happens when we can't breastfeed and when our journey doesn't go as expected? What if you want to formula feed your baby out of the gate? How do you move through feelings of failure or feeling like your body has betrayed you? There's so much that goes into this conversation surrounding feeding and approaching feeding in a way that works best for you, your baby, and your family. And Joanna has personal stories and experiences to weave into her expertise as a therapist to really guide us in this conversation today. So let's hear my conversation with Joanna. Hey mamas, Erica here. I don't know about you, but I spent my time before baby's arrival prepping things like the nursery and shopping online for clothes and all the baby gear when really what I needed to be preparing for was my adjustment into motherhood or my postpartum experience. What I truly needed was a birth plan for mom. And guess what? I've created the resource I wish I had. A child isn't the only one who needs care and support during the postpartum period. It is so important that we learn to mother the mother, and in this case, for you to learn how to cultivate your own inner mother and nurture yourself in the postpartum period. And the postpartum prep list that I created helps you to do just that. It will help you to think through and prioritize your needs in the postpartum period, as well as educate you on any of the red flags or things to be mindful of in terms of postpartum depression, anxiety, or intrusive thoughts. It is a 20-page substantial resource, and it is completely free. This is something I wish I had and I want all moms to have so they feel empowered and prepared to go into whether it's their first-time birth experience or adding siblings and additional members of their family. This resource is for anyone going through that transition. You can find it at happyasamother.co slash prep list. It's happyasamother.co slash P-R-E-P list. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Joanna, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today between momming and seeing clients and all the things you've prioritized being here with us and it means a lot. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much. I'm very privileged and feel honored to be here and be having a conversation with you about really important things. So thanks for having me. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've loved the most about this platform is the amazing people that I've been able to connect with. Like-minded professionals, people who share a passion for postpartum moms, sort of really 
tied together in our values. There's a real sense of like community with the professionals I've been connecting with. And you're one of those and have joined our wellness team and our serving moms and parents and their adjustment to parenthood. So love how our paths have crossed in such a cool and fun way. Absolutely. I feel the same. It's so nice to be part of a community that, you know, really values taking care of moms and new parents and throughout this whole wild journey of parenting. So I'm happy to be a part of it. I've shared on the podcast in the past how I stumbled into maternal mental health mm. specialty, like in, in mental health for like 10 years, didn't even know about maternal mental health until I went through my own experience, of course, and then did like a deep dive into all the things. How did you in your journey come to specialize in perinatal mental health? Because I feel like mental health is such a generalized topic that we niche down over time in. And how did you find your way into perinatal mental health? Yeah, it was kind of similar to you. I think a lot of us kind of stumble into it because we have our own experiences. I was working in mental health and trauma for a number of years leading up to this, working with adolescents, working with adults who were survivors of sexual violence, kind of moving around and getting a good sense of where I wanted to be. And then I got pregnant and had my daughter in 2019 and was really thrown into parenthood and this whole journey. And I had no idea how hard it was going to be. And I found myself looking for those resources and looking for those supports and trying to navigate this whole journey and really realizing how important it is to have supports for pregnancy, for postpartum, for all of the stuff that parents go through. And going through some, you know, really dark times, some really hard times, some really great times, but really seeing how supports are needed and critical to really, really helping our mental health and our mental well-being during the journey of parenthood. So similarly to you, it was really just me going through my personal experiences, trying to find those supports for myself. Mm -hmm. what was out there and seeing that this is an area that really needs more supports and just more, I guess, vocal messaging around different things. I think we get a lot of messaging from society around what we're supposed to do as a parent. And it was conflicting to what I wanted to do or what I needed to do. And so just, yeah, finding those supports and realizing that we need more and wanting to be part of that and part of the community that, you know, is there for parents to walk with them through this journey, whatever it looks like for them. Mm -hmm. And it brings up like it's a good segue into the conversation that we're here to talk about today, which is breastfeeding, nursing, right? And from a mental health perspective and all the things, and we're going to unpack it because we have a lot of expectations around feeding our role in feeding that it should come naturally, a lot of misconceptions and things about it. And the reality for many of us through that journey is so vastly different than the expectation. And I find in any of these stages of motherhood where that gap between our expectation and the reality is so large, there is so much discomfort and there's so much sort of struggle found in that gap. And when there is a gap there... I feel like we've often been conditioned to blame ourselves and look inward, right? We must not be paternal enough. We must not have tried hard enough. And we find fault in ourselves or feel that we're failing in some way. So I think that this is going to be such a freeing conversation and is a really essential conversation for us to have because I don't know about you, but clients that I work with carry nursing and feeding grief through for like years after baby. It's like one of those things that just kind of sticks with us and we feel really guilty about. Absolutely. I think you're so right. Like we really internalize that and those feelings of failing, I think come up a lot. That's what I see uh, a lot with my clients is feeling like somehow your body betrayed you or uh, you failed at this task that you're supposed to be able to do so naturally. So I think Mm -hmm. it's really important to have this conversation. And I think a lot of people probably can relate to what we're talking about today. Yeah. Maybe we can lead in with some of the the myths or misconceptions, maybe even ones that we believed because, oh my goodness, I feel like so much of this conversation is going to take me right back to those days. And some of those days you're still in because your little one is how old right now? Yeah, he's just about six months now. So I feel like we kind of just went through that again. And all this stuff came back up. Right. 
And I remember thinking, okay, you know, how hard can this be? My body is built to do this. This is something that, you know, naturally I should know how to do. So many other women have done this. Like, kind of like, what's the big deal? I should, I should kick into this naturally. I think that is the biggest misconception because this is a learned skill. There are people who are like trained and have education in teaching the skill for that reason. It's skills that we learn over time. It's not just like this inherent thing that like, you know, a a switch flicks in us and we know how to do. There's so many skills and variables that go into breastfeeding or nursing, right? Exactly. And it's almost instant, you know, when you are trying breastfeeding for the first time and, you know, the baby is put on your chest, almost instantly you suddenly realize, I have no idea how to do this. You know, I don't know how to hold the baby to do this. I don't know where their mouth is supposed to be or like all of those things start coming up. And you're right, you know, we feel like we should know how and we are built for this and it should just be natural. But there's almost no other things in our lives that we just can do without practicing, right? And we have no practice leading up to this. And you're right, there are trained professionals whose jobs are to teach people how to do this. Yeah. Well, there's no way we can just, you know, know. But I think instantly we start having those feelings that we should know how to do this and I don't know how and what's happening and why can't I do this? And all that stuff starts really, really early in that journey. Mm Mm-hmm. It makes me think about, I was telling you off the air that I did an interview with Emily Oster, and I don't know if it's going to air before or after this one, so it may or may not be live, or you can keep an eye out for it, but she is an economist who steps back and takes an overarching view of the data around breastfeeding, and I think that there's so much pressure when we're talking nursing and feeding and the polarizing opinions around it has really been propelled forward by this Breast is Best campaign. And she unpacks it in her book, which is called Crib Sheets, where in like, I think it was the 1970s. Oh gosh, guys, don't quote me. Get the book for yourself. But where nursing numbers were at an all-time low because formula was really being pushed. And so they came up with a breastfeeding campaign. There was a lot of research put into promoting breast is best and, you know, breastfeeding that started to, you know, see an increase in numbers. It was a really effective campaign that got people to prioritize breastfeeding. However, it also has formed this really intense pressure for women because now, and I don't know if you went through this, Joanna, but it's like when I became a first-time mom, breast milk was the solution for every problem. Yeah. Right? Eczema, oh, just express some breast milk on it. Oh, like eye infection, put breast milk in the baby's eye. Like I'm not joking. Every problem, the solution seemed to be breast milk. And it's like, one extreme to the other in terms of the pressure that moms feel, you know? Absolutely. I'm just, that takes me right back to only a couple months ago with my son when he had some stuff happening with his eye. And they said, you know, my midwife said, okay, just put some breast milk in it. And I said, in his eye? Like that's, is that, a, <laughs> is that okay? Is that a, is that a thing? thing? That's yeah. what they wanted me to do. And I was a little shocked, but you're right. It's, you know, any, any problem is put them in a bath of breast milk and do all this stuff with breast milk. It does seem to be the miracle cure and it's everywhere. I'm even thinking about, you know, for myself and my family personally, we're formula feeding for a number of reasons, but on our cans of formula, it says breast is best. Mm. It's so hard to see that messaging, have that messaging from all of this outside influence and then still have to go forward and make a different decision for your family while this is still, you know, right in your face. It reminds me of a couple of messages that I've gotten on Instagram when talking about this very conversation. Women who have had breast cancer Mm -hmm. or breast tissue removed or even breast augmentations and implants who physically cannot breastfeed and still feel the pressure and like they have to prove themselves or explain themselves for why they're, you know, bringing formula to the hospital and not trying to breastfeed. 
So there is so much pressure that happens. And I think that it's important for us to acknowledge that unseen pressure that is very tangibly felt. It is in the nuances of how people ask and what they say and, you know, the tone in which some of these questions come out in. And I find myself guilty of even making assumptions at times as well. It's just something that as a society, we're kind of like in this water of this messaging, right? And I think it's important for us to take a different angle on this today because especially, oh gosh, guys, if you're really like grappling with the data and the research around breast milk and all of the promises that it delivers and what the reality of those are, get Crib Sheets by Emily Oster. She unpacks all of the research and data if you're really like one of those people who like to know the foundations because there are maybe like some incremental things in the initial early days around like gastrointestinal things for babies formula being maybe a little bit harder to digest. But in terms of long-term, like baby's IQ being better or or these things that breast milk is promising, you know, it's not, it's not this miracle substance, I guess. And you are not doing harm to your baby by choosing your feeding path, right? And I think this is something that we're going to lean into a little bit today. Exactly. And you know, There have been many studies done on the benefits of breast milk, and we know that it's great. You know, we know that it provides great nutrients and it has a lot of benefits. And there's a lot of times where it does do things for our mental health in a positive way. Studies have shown that it can increase that bonding with your baby. It can decrease stress. It can decrease the risk of postpartum depression. But what those studies don't take into account are circumstance. Mm -hmm. It also has the potential to do the opposite. If you're having a negative breastfeeding journey for any reason, it has the ability to increase the risk of postpartum depression, decrease how you're able to bond with your baby, increase stress, you know, so it absolutely can do the opposite. But we don't get a lot of that information out there in society. We're bombarded with all the positives, right? It it will do this for you. You're right. The promises that we see with breast milk and in reality, there are definitely benefits, but it absolutely can go the other way as well. Yeah. And those benefits not having the long-term impacts that we think that they have, right? It is not a make it or break it situation. Just like in any of these parenting conversations that we have, sleep training, co-sleeping, you know, screen time. Like it's not a black or white thing. And I think that when we're talking breastfeeding, like the grief that comes up for moms, I hear a lot about like, I feel like my body failed or I feel betrayed by my body in some way, or I feel like I failed my baby in some way. There's lots of mixed emotions there, like people making comments to these mothers like, oh, I'm sorry you got to miss out on this bonding experience with your baby, as if still being up in the middle of the night holding your baby closely with a bottle is not a bonding experience. Yes. You know? I had an experience not that long ago with my son, and I took him for his vaccines, and we switched to formula because both of my kids have a cow's milk protein intolerance. Okay. Um, so they were, my breast milk was harming them. And it was either I go on an incredibly strict diet myself or we switch to formula. And, and for myself, that my mental health was not in a good place. And I knew that going on that diet would not have been helpful for me. And so mm-hmm. after a lot, we did switch to formula, but I took my son to get his vaccines and And the public health nurse asked me, you know, are you breastfeeding? And I said, I breastfed for the first six weeks. And then we switched to formula because of an allergy. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I was so mad. Mm -hmm. I was so mad that our public health professionals are putting that, they still have that mentality, you know, and I'm confident in my decision. I know that it was the best for my family. But still, when she said that there was that tiny little part of me that felt guilty that I had done that. When in reality, that switch has drastically increased my mental health, the mental health of my family, and was obviously the best choice for us. But that guilt is still there somewhere. You know, it's really difficult to get rid of when we're still hearing that from people around us, whether it's medical professionals, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whether it's random strangers, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I feel like the rhetoric that goes around in like mummy groups and you've got really different camps in these mummy groups, right? Is like, well, you didn't try enough or you're like, whatever, there's this whole, like, I don't know if it's like the easy way out or it's like lazy. There are these negative terms that get thrown around. And I remember for my first son, oh gosh, feeding was such a challenge. And I really had it in my mind as a recovering perfectionist, super A type who's been able to control the outcomes of the things that I've put my mind to, decided I wanted to breastfeed. And I had no freaking clue what I was getting myself into, nor did I understand the harm might be a strong word, but the unnecessary distress I was putting myself through being so rigidly tied to this expectation for myself. And this looked like wanting to exclusively nurse with no bottles, with no passy, you know, under any circumstances. And so what this looked like initially for us was that my boobs became extremely engorged. I can remember this night, it's like seared in my memory where no milk was flowing through and my son was like ragey, hungry and angry. And I had to like call the midwives in the middle of the night and I didn't want to give him a bottle. So I did like a tube nursing and they taught me how to like express the milk out. But when they came to weigh him, he was like underweight because of this whole learning curve that we were under. So what that then involved was me pumping in between every single feed so that I had milk to put in like the tube feeding to also make sure he was getting additional milk. I was literally nursing and or pumping for the first like four weeks of his life because I was so rigidly focused on this feeding journey, right? And it was a nightmare, And I'm sure it contributed to postpartum depression and anxiety and the lack of sleep and the number of crying and tearful breakdowns that I had and the anxiety about not feeling like I was doing a good enough job, all of that. Fast forward to my second son. Oh, God, I love doing it again with a clearer mindset, right? Like a different. And then by the time you get to your third, you're like, eh. Whatever. Like, that is fine. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. Uh, and he he was really big baby, nine, two, nine pounds, two ounces. And he came out and they were like, so he has to be supplemented with formula until your milk comes in because he'll have a crash in blood sugar because of his size. And like, like it's not, it's a non, it's like a non-negotiable. Like it has to happen. Wow. And I was like, okay, like, Sure. And then we established nursing after, and it was fine. And the world kept turning despite formula feeding my son and being a lot more flexible around how we integrated feeding him, right? I think that that rigidity in that expectation and that pressure that we put on ourselves is something that a lot of moms can relate to. Absolutely. I think the expectation piece is really key because for a lot of us, we go into having our first child with, or second or third with, you know, expectations of this is how my journey is going to go. And this is how I want it to go. And I'm going to do everything I can to ensure that it does go that way. And then when we're faced with differences, it really rocks us to the core. You know, it, Mm. it makes us look at our expectations and we have to adjust them. And that is incredibly difficult to do normally, but let alone when you're, you know, incredibly sleep deprived and hormones all over the place and trying to figure this whole thing out is sitting back and saying like, okay, this is not working for me. And how do I adapt? And how do I be flexible? And how can I, you know, ensure that my baby's needs are being met? And I really can relate to your story. I think, you know, I I went in with the same thing with my first one thinking, you know, I'm going to breastfeed, people in my family breastfed, it was easy for everyone, it should be easy for me. And my daughter honestly cried while she was awake every single waking moment of her life for the first three and a half months. And not just Mm. a whine, not just a little cry, like scream crying to the point where she couldn't breathe almost. 
And I had no idea that that wasn't normal. And I had no idea that had anything to do with feeding. And for me, my supply was pretty good and she was latching and everything seemed to be going okay. So I was thinking like, what is happening? Is this just how having a child- Is this motherhood? Like, right, right. I remember thinking and saying to my partner, like, if this is what having a baby is like, I wish we didn't do it. I wish this this was what it was because I don't want to do this. Yeah. It took three and a half months of multiple medical professionals telling me, oh, it's, you know, it's just colic and she'll get better. And, oh, maybe she has reflux. So let's put her on these meds. And, you know, she's just, it's her stomach will just adapt. All these things. Three and a half months later, finally, she had some blood in her stool. And my doctor said, oh, you know, this actually might be an allergy, you know? So then we learned that for the past three and a half months, her insides had been bleeding. No wonder she oh, Baba. Yeah. Yeah. But I still, you know, I still, when my doctor said, you either go on this diet or you switch to formula, I still felt like I need to try this diet. I, I have to. This was my plan. This was, The expectation was that I was going to breastfeed. So I have to do this. And going back and forth with my partner, who was incredibly supportive, who said, why are you putting yourself through this? You know, like we can just switch to formula. But it was that that idea that I had that I had to come to terms with that wasn't going to be my story anymore. Mm-hmm. It's really challenging to have to face that and adapt your expectations and change them and make different decisions. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days, Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. 
Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc dot com slash momwell. I think that we don't realize, well, we don't. We have expectations and we, we are not prepared to understand that the reality is, is really different. And because feeding is one of the first things we learn and hold on to, it's one of our first sort of token things that we cling to to prove we're doing it right. It's our first introduction into the reality not meeting the expectation And it's very hard to let go of that, like you said, that story or that image of the type of mom I think that I'm going to be. It's one of our first, well, that and or how baby is brought into the world. Sometimes it starts for people who their conception journey is different um, and surrogacy or, you know, sperm donor or I think of like, you know, two mom families and things like that where they have to go through different, you know, avenues of conceiving. But often for many, this is the first real spotlight that shines on the differences between what we expect and the reality. And it really gets internalized as failing, I think. Absolutely. I think it really, feeding really ties into how we feel about our worthiness as a parent. You know, mm. I feel like our success is defined by this feeding journey. You know, we were successful or we did it or we're this, you know, we are a good parent because we were able to do this. And that's just not true. You know, feeding doesn't define us as a parent. It's not the only thing that goes into the mental well-being of our children. It is not the factor that defines our worthiness as a parent. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. If you wouldn't mind sharing some of the practical things for you that helped to move you through that transition and helped you to let go of holding yourself to this rigid expectation. Absolutely. I think one of the main pieces for me was trying to separate my values and society's values. I had to really take a minute and think about what is important to me and what is important to our family? What values do we hold? And for myself and my family, mental health is huge. We put a lot mm-hmm. of weight on mental health and know how important it is for just overall well-being. The other piece for me was around bonding with both of my babies. And for me, I felt like bonding and building that relationship was very important. So those were my values. Mental health is really important. Bonding and the relationship is really important. And when I looked at it, breastfeeding or going on a really strict diet was not, it didn't align with those values. It was not going to help my mental health. It was not going to help the bond I had with my children because I hated breastfeeding at that point. I hated that it was, you know, this awful experience and I wasn't lovingly looking into my children's eyes. I was you know, scrolling. Resentful, right? I was hated. I was looking on my phone. I was doing other things. I was just trying to get over it. So for me, staying with breastfeeding didn't align with my values as a parent. Whether Mm. or not, you know, society told me that it did and those should be my values, it didn't. And if I, when I was able to separate those societal values and expectations in my own, it became really clear to me that sticking with breastfeeding would be going against my own values as a parent. And I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. That shift in mindset really helped to support me in making that decision and feeling more comfortable with moving to formula. Another piece for me was media consumption. As I'm sure a lot of us can relate to, you know, you're part of the mom groups that we talked about. You're following different accounts around feeding and sleeping and all that kind of stuff. And so I was, I was in mom groups. I had, you know, groups over text that had moms. I was a part of lots of different communities that way. And I realized that some of the communities I was a part of were actually making me feel worse. Mm -hmm. I had joined Mm -hmm. a Facebook group for parents who had kids with cow's milk protein intolerance because I thought that would be supportive and would be helpful for me. And I realized that it was actually doing the opposite because a lot of the mentality in that group was 
go on the diet. You can do it. I did it. Mm. Not that hard. Here's some recipes. Sharing that way. And for a lot of people, that's helpful. You know, for some people, that was great. But for me, I would leave those discussions feeling worse. I would leave right. those discussions feeling more guilty, like I hadn't tried hard enough. I should have done that. I shouldn't have made it about myself. And so I realized that I needed to get out of that. I needed to not be a part of that. And so I did kind of a, a social media purge and I, you know, left groups. I unfollowed different accounts that I was following. And then I spent some time really finding a community that I felt was supportive. So I found different accounts. I found different groups where I would leave the group or leave the discussion feeling empowered feeling like I had made a good choice, feeling like I was meeting the needs of my children and myself at the same time. So I think that can be really beneficial, um, is really looking at the type of media we're consuming and seeing if it's helping or not. And if it's not, we need to get out of it. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things as you're talking that are just coming to my mind. And one is, obviously, I create a lot of mom content and in doing that, looking for the right vectors and images to incorporate an inclusive image of motherhood. I have to tell you that finding a beautiful image of a mom bottle feeding her baby, I had to scour the perimeter of the internet to find something that portrayed that in a beautiful way versus all of these breastfeeding portraits and things where it's, you know, very glorified. And yes, it's a beautiful thing. And yes, I have my own breastfeeding portraits. I'm not hating on that at all. It's that there's not that same celebration in that bottle feeding and in that bond. And so I actually had, you know, hand sketched some and have purposefully seek out some to portray that in a beautiful way, because we need to like, how do they say, okay, this sounds like a very biblical reference, like pierce the veil, like burst the bubble in this idea around bond equals breastfeeding. Because like you said, and like I have learned with many clients that I've worked with, you can sit there and be seething while you are nursing. And that is not contributing in any way to your mindful attunement and attachment to your child. You can be in agony and pain because your nipples are like split and bleeding. And I mean, some of that you can work through and there's solutions for, but prolonged pain or even things like uh, DEMR, DEMR, I think is how you pronounce it, where dysphoric milk ejection response, where you, when your milk lets down, have a very emotionally disorienting response to that. It's not always bonding and breastfeeding. There is an array of experiences and bottle feeding does not equal an absence of bonding, right? Exactly. There are absolutely beautiful ways to bottle feed and intentionally attuned ways, skin to skin ways, so many ways that incorporate all of those other wonderful elements that breastfeeding might offer. It's so true, but you know, that message is so harmful that breastfeeding is the only way or the main way to bond with your baby. And, you know, you're right. It absolutely can be a great way, right? If you're having that positive experience with breastfeeding, it absolutely can be an incredible way to bond, but it also can harm a bond, right? As we said before, like if you're sitting there seething or angry or resentful, you're not bonding. You're Mm. not. So Mm -hmm. I, I hear you around finding those images too. I, uh, I recently was around, again, actually, when I went to the immunizations for my son, I took pictures of, you know, you have to wait for 15 minutes after to make sure that nothing, no reaction. And I was looking around and I saw these pamphlets and I I went up to look at them and I found 10 different breastfeeding pamphlets or resources or phone numbers or consultants or, you know, slogans or things like that around breastfeeding and zero about formula feeding, zero. So I took pictures and it made me sad. It made me really sad because what I wanted to see was, you know, 10 things about breastfeeding and 10 things about formula feeding or 10 things about, you know, pumping or combination feeding or tube feeding or whatever it is. But, but there wasn't that same support out there. We're still here. You know, we're still in this time where we're pushing and pushing and pushing so much and not taking people's circumstances into consideration. 
And motherhood, if there's one thing I have learned, is not, is the furthest thing from a one-size-fits-all, right? And when people start prescribing my motherhood experience to me based on norms and messaging, oh, I get a little feisty. I don't like that because I have autonomy and agency over my choices and we're not always made to feel that way. And it took me a long time to get to that place. And I live in this space now, so it's easier for me to do that. But If you're feeling like a decision is being made for you, halt and pump those brakes for a second. And I think that we should go through maybe some criteria here because if you feel that you are, like we said, a decision is being made for you, if you feel that you are clinging onto something so desperately that it is costing you something, then we really need to reevaluate the expectation that we're holding on to, right? I was clinging to the expectation of nursing and my baby was losing weight. Problem. Yes. Big problem, right? That is a pause to stop and reevaluate our expectation. And one thing that I always tell clients, and now I'm on my soapbox, so just give me a second. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I always tell my clients is that As first-time moms, we enter into motherhood setting expectations for ourselves, having zero lived experience of the role. None. Zero. And so those expectations that we set before ever being in the role cannot be things that we steadfast, rigidly hold to because we have no data or basis to set those expectations. So when we start to have lived experience in the role, we have to have flexibility to reevaluate the expectations we set for ourselves. Otherwise, we are setting ourselves up for failure or feelings of failure every step of the way. Exactly. That's such a beautiful way of putting it, that we can, you know, set all this stuff up for ourselves without having any experience, any practical experience whatsoever and not being able to be flexible when things happen or be adaptive because you know we're made to feel like this is the way that it has to be. For my clients a lot of the time we talk about, you know, is this stealing your joy as a parent? And mm, if it is, big one. Yeah, if it is, that's a problem. Mhm. I like these criteria or some of the flags for people to like look out for. Like is this a decision that you're doing because you feel that you have to because you've been sort of forced into it or pressured, like the pressure is pushing you to do it? Is this robbing your joy? Is this creating a subset of problems for you? Is this even something you want to do? Just even a simple question like that. Yeah. Do you want to? Right. Like, is this impacting your mental health is another one. Yes. And I think that that can show up in a couple of different ways. But I think about my experience. Oh, my gosh. I was just like, I was a mess. Like, I was just such a mess. Like, anxious and tears and really questioning what I had gotten myself into. Because am I just a feeding machine 24-7 now? Like, is this what this next year is going to look like in terms of nursing? You know, like, I'm thinking of some of the markers for mental health and when to sort of reevaluate breastfeeding and what might some of those things be. And we can talk them out together, like when this is starting to impact our mood negatively. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. It's even just like assessing, looking at your mood, right? Is nursing or is breastfeeding causing a lot of negativity? Are you finding you're resentful? Are you finding you're angry or, you know, you have a short temper or lack of patience are you finding that you're, you know, dreading it? Looking at changes in mood, like obviously we know that hormones still play a big role postpartum and things are trying to get back to normal and there's lots of ups and downs anyway, emotionally, but yeah. some of those maybe more significant pieces around feeding and around your mental health just, you know, really suffering some of those red flags absolutely of just, you know, are you crying more than, well, I don't want to say more than normal because there's no normal really, I don't think in in parenthood. It's just, it's all over the place. Yeah. But are you noticing that 
you know, you're crying a whole lot or you're you're feeling even like this is not the way it should be. Mm -hmm. A lot of people know, you know, this isn't what I want. This is not how I want to feel. There's something going on here, but hesitate to reach out for support because this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to be doing to feed your baby. So I guess this is just what it is, you know? Yeah. And I think that one of the things when I'm reflecting in my mind that I did not understand was that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm. I don't have to either exclusively nurse, exclusively that word, like just, you know, like feel so like I have achieved something so important or completely bottle feed. Like I could be having a rough day. My capacity could have shifted for whatever the reason And I could allow my partner to give a bottle of formula because that day called for it. Choosing the path of ease for our mental health is not a failure. It is very much a way that we can prioritize our own mental health and therefore our bond with baby and our enjoyment and motherhood. And it doesn't have to always be the grueling thing that's going to like feel like torture you know? Absolutely. I feel like it's the opposite of being a failure. If you can assess your own needs, assess the needs of your baby and adapt to meet them in whatever that looks like, to me, that is success. That is being flexible. That is really meeting the needs of yourself and your baby. And to me, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. So good. So good. And I hope that this is really resonating with those who are listening who've needed this because I'll have clients who come in like and their kids are eight, nine and 10 and they still can be brought to tears with their breastfeeding experience and their feeding journey. Absolutely. And also, I think reaching out for external support, because a lot of times we get the friends and the family members giving unsolicited advice and opinions and trying to be helpful, but maybe aren't so helpful And reaching out to a professional who is not emotionally involved in your life, who doesn't have judgments or assumptions about your life, can be so helpful to process some of those feelings that come along with having to reassess those expectations. So lots of grief happens, right? Grief and loss around what you thought Mm -hmm. was going to happen and what is happening. So being able to have a space that's safe and authentic to really explore some of those feelings, feelings of anger or feelings of not being worthy or successful. Having that space that feels safe can be so important in helping to support through that whole journey because it really is a journey. As you said, mm-hmm. like it doesn't just go away, right? Clients can come in years later and still instantly be taken back to those feelings. So it sticks with us. It really does. Yeah. And being able to be in a therapy space and have somebody say, what do you really want? Instead of asserting their own values and assumptions and beliefs, right? And what do you need for you to show up as the mom you need to be and want to be, right? And is nursing a part of that or is it not? And So, so many helpful conversations can come out of having that neutral space to, again, reevaluate those expectations that aren't glaringly obvious to us. They are just pressure that we feel sort of subconsciously that we're trying to fulfill, but it hasn't been clearly identified or laid out. And conversations such as those that happen in therapy really help to firm up our values on those things and make them clear and concise. Yeah, it can be really hard to separate your own values from societal values when you're in the middle of it, right? And the therapy space really gives that ability to just sit and to really be able to talk out with another person where my values really are. What do I Mm -hmm. believe? You know, explore that. There's room to explore and think about different options and look at different solutions and maybe it's you know you want a combination feed or you want to give a bottle once in a while or whatever it is but you haven't had the the space or the ability to even think that stuff through so I think therapy can be so beneficial in providing that opportunity to just take a minute and have someone just ask you know 
what is going to be best for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe a part of your sleep plan is that on weekends, partner's going to bottle feed, whether with formula or pumped milk so that you can get some rest or there's there's just so many shades of gray and that's why it is not a one size fits all prescription or experience. And so allowing ourselves to flex those expectations is so important. And if we can't get there on our own, therapy is so helpful for that. And Joanna has joined our wellness team and is serving moms in Alberta, which is so exciting as we're building out cross province and hopefully, you know, coast to coast once we have all of our, our therapists in place. And so we're serving moms in Canada. And for those who might be looking for other uh, maternal mental health supports who are not in Canada can check out Postpartum Support International. And they have a directory of moms sorry, like mom professionals or maternal mental health therapists supporting moms all over the globe. So psidirectory.com is where you can go if you're outside of Canada as well. I would love to wrap up with some ways we can respond to like the nosy Nellies who like to maybe overstep boundaries and maybe like, you know, unintentionally or just trying to create conversation may ask about our feeding journey and it might hit home or hit a nerve and feel a little intrusive. So what might be some good responses for feeding questions? Absolutely. I think this one comes up a lot because it's one of the first things people want to know. It's a conversation starter. So you can get those questions a lot. And I think one of the most important things to remember is that it is not our job to make other people feel comfortable with how we are parenting. Mm. You don't owe anybody an explanation for what you're doing. You get to decide what type of information you're going to provide if you want to provide any And you can base it on the person. If it's someone that you do feel comfortable with that you want to answer and talk about it with, great. If it's someone you don't want to, you don't owe them anything. So saying, Mm. you know, something simple as I'm formula feeding and that's best for my family and leave it at that or saying, I don't want to talk about it. Any response is absolutely okay. You're allowed to set those boundaries with people. You're allowed to not want to talk about it. You're allowed to elaborate if you want to and not if you don't. Mm -hmm. It's not your job to make other people comfortable with what you're doing or have to justify what you are doing. I think that justification is such a big piece, right? Oh, I'm formula feeding because. Mm -hmm. And then we feel the need to say, because I had like, you know, mental health challenges, because I had low supply, because I had cancer. And then that's a whole can of worms that nobody is entitled to the information if we don't if we don't want them to you know like if we don't want to offer that up or even like it's a sensitive topic and it's really actually something I'd rather not discuss right now if that's okay with you you know and just whatever way that suits your your sort of like personality or voice one of the things that came out of an interview I did recently she was talking about one of the best ways we can advocate for ourselves at times is just like 15 seconds of bravery mm-hmm. 15 seconds of bravery to set a boundary yeah. or to be assertive and say I appreciate the question but you know sensitive topic can we what about this or whatever like find our voice just to set that boundary and it feels uncomfortable in the moment to sort of you know, shut it down. But then we don't walk away feeling shame and guilt and, you know, that we've just had this person intrude into our space that had no place being there, you know? Yeah. And in the long run, that 15 seconds, you know, while it felt uncomfortable and it was hard to maybe say those things to that specific person, in the long run, it does set up that boundary. So you probably, or maybe, don't have to say it again, you know, so that person doesn't ask again or is aware that it's a sensitive topic and won't bring it up again rather than you trying to answer and and trying to justify and then they talk about it again and you still like it just kind of keeps going. That 15 seconds of bravery really does have long-term effects and and really positive impacts for for people. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when we're dealing with boundary violators who feel the need to constantly give advice or, you know, really push their values onto us. One way that I like to deal with that and also work with clients 
in dealing with that is I really appreciate your concern. Yes. I appreciate your concern. And I see that this is coming out of a place of care. Rest assured, nobody cares more about my baby than I do. And I, you know, I will make sure I take the steps I need to take in order to make sure that baby's healthy and I'm healthy or whatever. Right. And I think that when we can just acknowledge, I appreciate your care about this. However, you know, it's our decision to make. Like, I appreciate you, but, you know, this is our choice. Just is a really diplomatic way of seeing that, you know, they're coming out of a place of care or concern, but also, like, hold the phone. This is not that you're overstepping now. This is not territory that I'm willing to allow you to prescribe your values into or however. Absolutely. And we we sometimes have to say it a few times, you know, we sometimes do have to set that boundary and then say it again and say it again and say it again until someone really understands. But I like that way because it does acknowledge that for a lot of people, when they're giving advice or asking questions, it's not coming out of a place of harm. They're not trying to be malicious or hurtful. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just acknowledging, you know, I, I appreciate that you're, you know, worried about this or that you care about this, but this mm-hmm. is our decision and this is what we're going with. And thank you, but no thank you, you know? Exactly. Like they're just trying to help. Like I appreciate your support or you're trying to help and uh, we're going a different direction with this. And it can just be as simple as that. And yes, maybe we need to pair at that a couple of times, depending on how intrusive the person, <clears throat> mother-in-law in a lot of cases or whatever might be. But yeah, there are definitely tactful ways to do that that do not provoke confrontation. And and this really can open up a whole big boundary setting conversation that you know, maybe we'll save for another day, but it is important to have that 15 seconds of bravery and honor that boundary. They have no entitlement or right to just bulldoze over it. So absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. And I was going to say, where can people find you online and all of these things? But I know this because you're part of the team and I know where people can find you online. (laughs) By the time this airs, we'll have your personal link set up if they want to book directly in with you, which is happyasamother.co slash Joanna, serving right now Alberta moms. And maybe there will be other offerings from you on our team in the future. And then where else do you hang out online? And do you want to share any other resources that we can link in the show notes? Yeah. um, Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a lovely conversation and such a needed conversation. Yeah. Um, So absolutely, you can book in with me through that link. I'm also on Instagram at Joanna underscore counseling. Post a lot of different things, some personal, some professional just kind of whatever is resonating with me and with what's going on in society at the time. So check me out. And um, yeah, I just, I really appreciate this conversation and being able to open it up and hopefully have people who are listening really resonate with what we're talking about because it's such an important topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if there's one goal I have in life, and I think a lot of the providers on our team also share in this value in this goal is like, we want to change and level the landscape of how we parent. Motherhood is not this one size fits all and we can challenge the mainstream narrative and learn to mother differently and mother in our own way. And there is beauty in that and there's a lot more enjoyment and fulfillment and satisfaction that comes in doing that. Appreciate you. Appreciate you being a part of our team. And again, thank you for your time and being here today. Thank you so much. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.
Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.